Well, again, good morning. Good morning. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us online. And uh, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We'll get there in a moment. Obviously, as you heard from Mark, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we've really been encouraging you to think about next steps. And uh, it's legitimate in the course of these weeks uh, for you to also ask, well, why should I do that? Why is this important? What, what are you really inviting me to? Some of you, maybe you're new, you're just checking us out. We've got some of you, maybe you've never actually been here physically. You just discovered our church online. And so, you're, George, you're inviting us to take these next steps. But what are you, what are you inviting us to? What's really behind all this, and why are these steps important? Those are great questions, and, and really now as we are ramping up for fall, we're getting ready to kind of invite you into different opportunities. As you can see from that card, this is a good time for us as a church family to revisit our mission, our philosophy of ministry, because ultimately through these various opportunities that we're inviting you to consider, through the various next steps that we are making possible, All of that figures into maybe a bigger invitation. And the bigger invitation is this, to join us in the journey of following Jesus. And it's a journey we describe this way, as living with Jesus, loving like Jesus, and leading others to do the same. So what we're going to do over these next three weeks as we're getting ready for the fall and the various opportunities that will come with that, we're going to take time to kind of work through those themes again. And for some of you, if you're new or newer to our church, this will be an opportunity for you to kind of learn more about who, who are these people and what is this church really about. And to help us explore these themes, we're actually going to be in the same passage over the next three weeks. We're going to be in John 17, which is a very significant prayer in the life of Jesus. It's the prayer he prays shortly before the moment when he is arrested, leading to his crucifixion and resurrection. It's a prayer that he prays for his church. And then we're going to see as he prays for himself, for his church, for his mission, he actually hits these very themes that we talk about so much, these themes of living with Jesus, loving like Jesus, and leading others to do the same. So over the course of these three weeks, we're going to talk about these different dimensions of the journey of following Jesus, what they look like, and why they are so important. So uh, as we get started, we're going to talk about that theme of living with Jesus. And we're going to see that in the opening part of John 17. But before we get there, it's important for us to see the context in which Jesus prays that prayer. And to do that, I actually want to go back to the end of chapter 16. So this prayer comes right after Jesus has been really spending his final time of building into his disciples before he's arrested. This final segment, this final time of being together, this final time of teaching. And you can read that over the previous three chapters. Uh, But this is how that time of teaching concludes. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, here's the context. Jesus says, I have told you these things, and I think that specifically refers to the the teaching that you will read about in, in kind of the previous three chapters, these chapters where Jesus has talked about the fact that he, he is going to 
leave them. He's preparing them for what's about to happen, and he's preparing them for the complexities that they will experience. He's also uh, preparing them for the reality. He will not leave them alone, but he will send them his spirit. Those are significant themes in this teaching that Jesus has just given his disciples. He says, look, I have told you these things, but now notice, notice, and, and, and I want us to slow down here because we can kind of We can just breeze through this before getting to the prayer. But notice how he describes what his disciples are going to experience. Notice how he describes what the journey of being a follower of Jesus is going to look like. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Did you hear that? Interestingly, in Greek, it's, it's like there's this kind of intentional parallel, that, right? In, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, <laughs> this is what the journey of following me is going to look like. In me, you can experience peace, but that's going to take place in the context of a world in which you have trouble. Now, in the broader context of what Jesus has been saying, when he talks about trouble, I think foundationally, he's referring to the fact that these disciples, they're going to experience challenges just because they've become followers of Jesus. We'll next be going into the book of Acts, and as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see those challenges in real time. He's referring specifically to the challenges, the hardships of being a follower of Jesus, the way that can complicate your life. And for us, even today, I think if you're a follower of Jesus, there have to be those moments or times, even culturally, when you feel out of step just because you're a follower of Jesus. So I think foundationally, when Jesus talks about you're going to experience trouble, he's talking about the fact that that you may experience opposition, you may experience feeling outside your culture, you may experience some degrees of persecution because you are my follower. But I think more generally, the concept of trouble here also just includes the reality that, you know, as you go through life, there are going to be some unexpected things that come your way. I mean, nobody, none of us expected to go through a pandemic, but we have. There are going to be complications, uncertainties, obstacles, difficulties, things that don't go according to plan. So once again, I think we've got to come to grips with what Jesus was saying. I mean, he's saying this to his immediate disciples, but I think the message applies to us as well. In this world, you will have trouble. But even in the context of that trouble, in me, you can experience peace. Now, I I think we have to wrestle with that. Because if we're honest, sometimes we don't want to take Jesus seriously. Right? Sometimes what my expectation is this. Well, if I'm a faithful follower of Jesus, I'm supposed to experience his peace. Things are supposed to go my way because I've been obedient. I'm one of the good guys. And then when things don't, when I experience the trouble that Jesus anticipates, for some of us what happens is I I look around and go, okay, so what did I do wrong, right? 
I, somehow I got off track because, you know, life's got, I didn't expect this. So life, I've done something wrong. So if I can just figure out what I did wrong and correct that, then my life will go perfectly well again. And I'm right back in that, you know, wonderful peace. And maybe, maybe you thought in those terms. Or sometimes when, when we experience the complexity, the unexpected, we find ourselves really beginning to wonder, can, can I take God at his word? Can I take Jesus at his word, even these promises of peace? And for some, even as followers of Jesus, we may find ourselves languishing in our faith because there's this sense of, well, you know, it's not working out like I thought it was supposed to. And the problem is we're not taking Jesus at his word. He says, look, in this world, you will have trouble. But in me, you will have peace. There's a word, you're probably not familiar with it, there's a word I want to introduce you to that I think in some ways uh, kind of encapsulates what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Since we love L words around here, words that begin with L, let me give you one more word that begins with L, and it is this word, liminal, L-I-M-I-N-A-L. You're probably not familiar with the word, it's an unusual word, but here's what the word means. It, liminal refers to those kind of in-between times, those in-between spaces. It it's actually comes from a Latin root that describes a threshold, right, between rooms, the doorway between rooms, kind of that in-between space. So maybe you graduated from high school this, this year and, uh, you know, your next step is going to be going to college. Quite possibly you're headed out for new student orientation or you're, you're moving this week. And so this summer you've been in a liminal space, kind of that in-between time. Some of you know the reality of kind of being in between jobs. That's maybe where you're at right now, and you're trying to figure out what the next step is. Or maybe you've just entered retirement, or you're about to enter retirement, and you're trying to figure out what that's going to look like because you're in this in-between space. And the reality is the in-between spaces, can, they can be exhilarating, they can be exciting, there's a sense of anticipation. But as some of you know as well, Right? In between spaces, like, oh my goodness, what's my next job going to be? I haven't figured that out. Those, those spaces can be confusing. They can be anxiety-filled. They can be complicated. And ultimately, what Jesus is preparing his disciples for is this. This season between the cross and resurrection and his return. It's an in-between time. It's liminal space. This, this is the world in which we live. It's a world where we can experience Christ's peace and flourishing and wholeness. But it's also a world where we have to come to grips with the reality we're going to experience trouble, hardship, complexity. And so the question is, well, how do you make sense out of it? How do you navigate that? When in reality, Jesus is saying, your life's not going to be as simple as you would like it to be. Well, notice again what he says. What does he say? Take heart. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't get stuck. Don't get sidetracked. Don't lose your head. That's what he's saying. Right? He's, look, right, he's acknowledging, look, it's going to be complicated, but you can experience my peace. So I want you to live boldly. I want you to live courageously because I have overcome the world. 
And then you say, okay, Jesus, well, how do we do that? What, what does that look like? What, what, what does it look like to, to take heart, to live boldly, to live courageously? And I would argue that's exactly what this prayer is about. Because in this prayer, Jesus is praying for his mission. And he's praying for his followers to embrace this mission. Because that, that's how we live courageously. That's how we live boldly. That's how we experience his peace in a world that can become complicated, disorienting, <laughs> anxiety of field, a world that is liminal space. And part of embracing that mission is recognizing the need to live with Jesus. Now to show you that, what I want to do now is, is walk you through part of John 17. First of all, let me, let me just show you how you can outline it, just kind of for your information, to kind of give you a flow of, of this passage. There are different ways to outline it, but, but arguably in the opening paragraph, Jesus is, Jesus is praying for himself. And then verses 6 to 19, he's praying for his disciples, that immediate group of people who are going to continue his mission. And then, then in, in a very intentional way, the prayer expands beginning in verse 20 beyond those disciples to the ongoing work of his mission. So all of this is about, all of this is, is about those who will be engaged in his mission. Because that's how, <laughs> that's how you live courageously. That's how you take heart in a complicated world. So first theme we're going to look at is the idea of living with Jesus. And let's do that by looking at the opening part of the prayer. Here's how the prayer begins. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now as Jesus prays for himself, notice how he is describing his mission. Notice he says that what he's come, right, to give eternal life to those who have been given to him. Now, just, let's just notice that, first of all. Notice that concept of eternal life. And, and when Jesus says eternal life, what is it that comes to your mind? I think, I think for some of us, maybe the thing that comes to mind when we talk about eternal life is we think about forgiveness, right? Maybe when you started the journey of, of following Jesus, some, someone explained the message of Jesus to you, and they explained how you can put your faith and trust and Christ and, and experience his forgiveness and experience eternal life. And if you have yet to start that journey, this is the journey we're inviting you into to, to receive Christ's forgiveness as you put your faith and trust in him to experience his new life. So maybe when you hear the phrase eternal life, that's what you think about. You think about forgiveness. I think for many of us, we think, we think eternal life, and, and our mind goes to heaven, right? And it kind of blows our mind. We think about eternity and everlasting life, and we, we wrestle with questions of what is that going to look like? So we think about what the, the long-term trajectory of, of this journey of following Jesus is. Now, all of that is true, but, but here's what I want you to notice. Notice in this context, as Jesus prays, notice how Jesus <laughs> defines eternal life. 
Notice what Jesus highlights. Jesus says, this is eternal life. What? That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Jesus says, this, this, this is the reason that I've come. I've come that you may know God. Just, just wrestle with that for a moment. Just kind of let that sink in. Jesus came so that we could know God. Let's personalize that. Jesus came so that I could know God. Say that with me. Jesus came so that I could know God. You see that? That's... That's central to how he's describing his mission. And given that, it is not surprising how the passage continues. Because there's a bit, a bit that may be shocking to you in the next section. But, so let's look at that. Here's how the passage continues, verses 4 through 6. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world... They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now here's the twist, the surprising element in what Jesus says here. I don't know if you notice this. Notice this, he says, I have brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. And, and we want to go because we know the whole gospel story. We know the story about what's, what's about to happen. We want to raise our hand and go, wait a minute, Jesus. You, you haven't been raised from the dead yet. You haven't gone to the cross yet. You haven't even been arrested yet. And we remember, you know, it's on the cross. He says, it is finished. But now you're saying, I have finished the work you gave me to do. How how can he say that even before he's arrested? What part of the work has he finished? Well, this makes sense in light of what we've just seen, because here's what I want you to see. He answers that question as you read a little farther. What part of the work has he finished? I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. You see, if Jesus' mission is ultimately that we might know God, he has already been working on that mission. Because all throughout his ministry, as he's been engaging his disciples, as he's been teaching, as he's been healing, as he's been interacting with different people, as he's had conversation, all throughout that, what has he been doing? He's been revealing the character of God. All along the way. (laughs) Now here's where this gets really interesting. This, this is a very, I think, appropriate translation of the passage, but let me, let me give you a translation that's a little more literal. When Jesus says, I have revealed you, a more literal translation is this. I have revealed your 
name. That's the, the wording Jesus actually uses here. Through, through my ministry, right? I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm to bring people into relationship with you, God. And throughout my work already, he says, I have revealed your name. As I read this, uh, my mind kind of goes back to two experiences that, that I had when Rose and I were in England when I was a graduate student. First experience was an early moment of culture shock. It came when I opened the phone book. Now, for those of you under 40, <laughs> right? We, we used to have this thing called a phone book, right? It was kind of physical, right? Paperback, and depending on how large your metro area was, it was a different sizes, and you could actually go to this book, and there were names listed with addresses and phone number, right? We used to have a physical phone book. So we'd moved to England, and I opened that physical phone book for the first time, and here how, here's how names were listed. They were listed last name, comma, first initial, or last name, comma, first initial, second initial. And I remember looking at that phone book thinking, oh my goodness, this is not helpful. Do you know how many G. Davises there were just in Cambridge alone, right? I mean, there are multiple listings for G. Davis, but it made sense because at that time, in British culture, it was not uncommon that in public, in public spaces, you used your initials when it came to your name. You may never have put that together, but you've already experienced that, for instance, with a number of British authors, right? C.S. Lewis. J.K. Rowling. Ah, I know what you've been reading. Uh, No, right? J.R.R. Tolkien, right? And I could go on. T.S. Eliot, N.T. Wright, G.K. Chesterton, right? I could go on. Because this is just kind of a common way people talk about their names in public. Now, that leads to a second memory I have from those four years. And that was an afternoon where I, I had the opportunity with a friend of mine to, to have a conversation with a retired professor at Cambridge who had taught with C.S. Lewis, and we just wanted to hear some of the stories he was sharing. And at one point he was talking about, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, he, Lewis would be in his home and they'd have dinner together, and he talked about some of that. And, and he got a little smile, he got up from his chair in his living room, and he went over to the bookcase. And he pulled out a hardbound volume, a very thin hardbound volume. It was clearly old and weathered. And he opened that hardbound volume. And when I looked at it, I realized it was a guest book. And he began flipping back almost to the very beginning, going back way back to the early 1960s, to a a time C.S. Lewis had been over for dinner and actually signed the guest book. And he found that date, and he, he just wanted us to see the signature. So he found the date, and he brought it over, and he smiled. And do you know how C.S. Lewis signed his name? He signed it Jack. Jack Lewis. You see, to his friends, he was Jack. To those who really knew him, who spent time with him, who worked with him, they, they knew his name. And they called him by that. And Jesus is saying, look, I've, what I'm doing is I, I've been revealing God's name 
And that's not a reference to a particular word. That's a reference to his character, to the reality of who he truly is. And arguably running in the background of this passage is Exodus chapter 3, where Moses encounters God's presence in the burning bush, and God reveals his name to Moses, and God makes his commitment to Moses. And Jesus is saying, look, this is, <laughs> this is why I've come. I've come that you might know God. Now, as, as you think about this, I think you and I both know experiences in personal relationships of getting to know someone. In fact, isn't there at least one person in your life where you would say, you know, when I first met them, I wasn't quite sure, but as I've gotten to know them, I've, I've really gotten to know who they are. And, and maybe you would say my first impression was wrong. You know, we work together, or we, somebody I've met at church, or somebody I've met in the community, or maybe our families are similar, so we've gone through family stuff together. Someone that maybe in, in some ways has gone through some positive stuff with me, or gone through some negative stuff with me. We've had these shares of experiences, and in the course of that, I feel like I've truly gotten to know this person. And Jesus is saying, I've I've come to reveal God's character to you. So that as we go through things together, the good, the challenging, the exciting, more and more, you might understand who I am and you might, your life might be shaped in the context of this relationship. In fact, later in the prayer, we read these words. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in the context, I think part of what he is saying here is that our lives are, are to be shaped by the reality of who God is in the context of this relationship. That, that's part of what Jesus means when he says, I have revealed you. I have revealed your word. I have revealed your truth. So this, this, is how, this is how Jesus describes his mission. Do, do you understand this dimension of his mission? He has come so that you can know God. You might word it this way. Jesus has come because he loves you and wants to be with you. Just just let that sink in for a moment. Now at this point, you you may be saying, okay, George, I get it. I, I get the principle. I get the truth here of what you're saying. But so what? So what do I do with that? What does that actually look like in my life. Well, think again about the relationships that you have in your life. And maybe think about the relationships you invest in versus those in which you don't. The truth is to grow in in those meaningful relationships, it takes desire. You've got to want to do that. You've got to value this relationship. And then it takes the discipline to spend the time necessary for that to take place. So do, do, you, do you have the desire to grow in this relationship? 
I mean, ask yourself and just, just be brutally honest. Do, do I really believe that God wants to be with me? And see, with that desire, it, there also comes the reality that it, it takes time. It takes a discipline. And by that, I mean this. We, we have to build in, as in any relationship, habits, rhythms. We have to build those into our lives that make room for that relationship, that make room for God and his spirit to be in, at work, that, that provide opportunities for this relationship to grow. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you, you may have noticed we do spend time talking about the importance of rhythms and habits. Even in the context of our services, we try to build different habits and rhythms into the time in which we gather corporately. And the reason is simply this, because Jesus has come so that we might know God. This week, uh, I was interacting with one of the members of our church who has been in a couple of group settings here in the life of Hershey Free over the last year, where she's been really challenged to, um, you know, build rhythms and habits into our life to, to really just make space for God to be at work. Habits like engaging God in scripture, reading scripture, and, and spending time in prayer. And, and so I asked, I, I said, would you answer a couple of questions for me? And one of the questions I asked was, well, just tell me, tell me what this has looked like. What, what have you done? And she, she sent me kind of answer to that question and uh, has allowed me to share this with you. And let me just share a couple of things that she wrote for me in responding to that question. She said, okay, here's one of the things I've tried over the last year. I've tried fasting. Here's what she said. I first chose to fast from social media. That proved to be more difficult than I imagined. <laughs> I think we could relate to that. So instead, I decided to start my morning out first with reading the Bible and praying. After that, I could use social media. And she said, you know what? This has really helped set the tone for my day. I didn't even want to get to Facebook after a while. I was also able to enjoy my work and relationships because I wasn't constantly comparing myself to others. She also just mentioned the importance of Scripture in engaging God in scripture. She said, you know, I, w I was setting aside time to do my devotional, and she was in a group context where they were working through a devotional material together. And she said, the constant bathing in scripture just soothed my soul. I felt like I could truly connect with God and that he has heard me. As the winter rolled into the spring, and that would be the winter that we've just gone through in the spring of this year, I signed up to read the Bible in a year. She said, it's, it's been awesome. It really helped me to memorize scripture and use it when I was struggling with something in my life. In addition, I've enjoyed comparing multiple Bible translations as I read scripture. One other practice that she talked about was prayer. I have loved seeing how my prayer life has grown. Because I was reading more in the Bible, I felt like I was getting to know him better his heart, his passion for us, his unconditional love, his sacrifice, his mission. I no longer say if in my prayers. I wait expectantly because I know he will respond. I have learned to tap into the Holy Spirit that lives inside me and empowers me. He has brought me true peace that surpasses all human understanding. 
I trust him more and rest in the fact that he is good and knows what's best for me. And then I said, okay, as you've taken these steps and you've kind of experimented even with different kinds of practices and rhythms, what have you learned? What, what's your takeaway from this last year? And here's what she wrote. Overall, I've actually, I've come to crave my time with God. I feel incomplete when I don't spend time with him. I figure my day is going to be filled with something. Why not make it full with him? Obviously, I'm a work in progress, but I'm enjoying the journey. And Jesus says, yes, because I've come to be with you. Now, your, your life doesn't have to look exactly like that. That's just the example of, of one person's experience. But are, are you building space into your life, habits and rhythms like these? that make room for God to be at work? Does your everyday life reflect the truth that God wants to be with you? Remember, Jesus says he wants you to know him as the only true God. Along those lines, let me, can I just make a reference to a couple of resources that we have available here to, to help you in, in kind of making space for God? One is uh, a weekly devotional guide. You may or may not realize this, but each week we actually print and prepare a short devotional guide following the text that we have used on Sunday. If you go to hfcinfo.com, just hit on the sermon tab, you will find this devotional guide. And what it will include, it will include three days of devotions, just kind of a a short scripture passage to read, uh, and then several questions to kind of help you engage God in the text, and, and then a, a thought to encourage you to respond and, and think about how you're in responding to him in a particular way. And so we make this available online every week. This is something you can use personally. Uh, maybe you are thinking about, you know, even as a family, I wish we could do something spiritual around the dinner table, uh, and maybe just, okay, we take one of these devotionals each week, and we kind of have that interaction together. Friday, I was with a group of young couples in our church, and I mentioned this just to say, if you're thinking about something you can do together to grow together spiritually, this is something that you can use. So I just wanted to make sure you're aware that this is one of the tools that we are making available to you to kind of help you make space for God to be at work, for that relationship to grow. A second tool that I will mention is um, a little booklet that we also have available. It's about connecting with God. And this booklet just describes kind of different ways that we are wired and as a result, different ways in which we may connect with God. These are sometimes referred to as spiritual pathways. We, you know, some of us maybe are more contemplative. Some of us are more relationally driven. Some of us are more wired toward ideas. And, and what this little booklet does, it gives you a series of questions. You can kind of just do the little diagnostic and kind of helps you think through how you are wired and what that means in terms of how you relate to God. We've got, I think, a limited number of copies available at the doors. We also are making this available electronically. Once again, you'll find it on the sermon tab at hfcinfo.com.
So these are tools that are intended to help you make space, make room (laughs) for your relationship with God because God wants to be with you. This is why Jesus came. So really the question that I want to encourage you to wrestle with and just think through is what am I doing to make room for God? What am I doing to make room for this relationship? Remember, Jesus says, look, your life's going to be complicated. There's going to be challenges. Don't be surprised by that. You are living in liminal space, but you don't have to get stuck there. You don't have to get sidetracked there. You don't have to lose hope there. Because I've come that you might know God. And in the context of our relationship, even in the midst of the complexity, you can experience my peace right now. So what am I doing? What am I doing to make room for this relationship? As we close this morning, uh, we're going we're to move to a time of communion. And I particularly wanted to observe communion on this Sunday. Because, you know, as we come to this time of communion, we're, we're celebrating the work of Christ that now makes this relationship possible. And remember, Jesus, Jesus gave his disciples, <laughs> Jesus gave his disciples this meal, this celebration, and implied that it was, it was to be done in an ongoing way. And in a real sense, what he was saying, as you live through this chaotic world, as you live through this liminal space on a regular basis, I want this physical act of eating the bread and drinking the cup to be a reminder that I have come to be with you. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up, and we're going to kind of celebrate the love of God in Christ that makes this new relationship possible. But before we do that, and before we celebrate communion, there's a prayer that I want to pray. And this morning, in light of what we've been talking about, the prayer I want to pray comes from the book of Ephesians. It comes from a place where Paul is praying over that early group of Christ's followers. And in the flow of Ephesians, he's about to kind of describe, here's what this journey of following Jesus looks like. And he's about to give certain details about what different relationships are to look like and how we engage our responsibilities as followers of Christ. But before he does that, he has this fascinating prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And what is fascinating is this. His prayer is that they would grow in their understanding of God's love. In other words, the prayer is that they would grow in this relationship. Because Paul understands Jesus has come so that we might know God and live in the context of that relationship. So with that in mind, let me, let me pray this prayer over us. Gracious God, I pray that out of your glorious riches... You may strengthen us with your power through your spirit 
at the core of who we are in our inner being. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.